P. Brooks. <laughs> How are you doing, Jacko? Good, thanks. How are you this morning? I'm good. I'm good. I love, love grey rainy weather. <laughs> it's so miserable in London. Well, but it's the best time to be sat inside with a warm coffee having a great chat. Very true, very true. <laughs> uh, yeah, so today we're going to be chatting about art schools. I suppose but, but art schools, but also kind of in the current climate. But yeah, I thought a good place to start would be to chat about our own kind of art school experiences. Mm. Um, yeah, do you want to go first? Like where you studied, all that kind of stuff? <clears throat> yeah, where I studied is where you studied. We're going to have a fairly homogenous <laughs> view on this one. Yeah, I did all of my art schooling at St. Martin's. I was always very certain that I wanted to study art. I loved art school. What about you? Yeah, so I kind of was the opposite. I think I never wanted to go to university, really, um, which is kind of funny how things have ended up. <laughs> Um, but yes, yeah, so I did my foundation in Southgate College and then I went on to St. Martin's and it was very different from St. Martin's. Um, and I was doing kind of lots of big outdoor sculptures and things. And then when I got to St. Martin's, it was kind of very different because I felt, felt very restricted in terms of space and all of that kind of stuff. And then when I was at St. Martin's, I did my Erasmus in Berlin. So that mm. kind of gave me a different uh, look into what art school could be and the kind of art school model, I suppose. <laughs> Um, so I was very kind of interested in what art education is and what it could be. So I don't know, I think I'm, I still have a lot of kind of questions about art education. And when I was studying, I was also uh, a part of a group called QArt. Uh, mm -hmm. which is an organization looking at art, art, looking at art education. Did like publications, crits around different universities and things like that. Because <clears throat> yeah. I think there's like a, a legend of like what an art school is like, that I think is quite traditional. You know, there's a lot of drawing, there's, there's life drawing classes and CSM was absolutely not. Uh, it was very much, here's your studio, we'll see you in a month, have fun. And I know at the beginning of my studies, that really threw me in for a loop. And I think I was going through a really weird time in my life as well. So I didn't really get into it. By the end of my degree, I loved it. I was, yeah, coming into the studio every day, just creating and churning things out in this space that was incredibly supportive. And I found really like the most important and exciting thing that I got was the community we had this sort of obviously something that you do do at art schools because you have these crits where you know you sit with your class and your tutor um and talk about the work and I know that sort of as we got into our third year we were like we need more of these so I just remember we would have these bits where we'd sort of like run around all the studios and be like there's a crit happening in an hour come to this space and we'd sit and talk about our work with people that we didn't know it being a huge course and that I always say that was like the thing I got out of art school the most was and what made it as good as it was was the community of people yeah I, I agree to kind of a certain extent but I feel like as well there's a lot lacking in terms of kind of theoretical knowledge I feel like a lot of it was quite dated there wasn't really kind of much conversation about what's happening now we weren't kind of reading very kind of current literature yeah I think as well compared to like the kind of German model which feels a lot more um engaged than yeah. 
the kind of model that we were at. Yeah, it definitely did feel out of date. I remember at one point I went to a banner repeater, the the reading room founded by Amy Clark, that's at Hackney Down Station. And she had a load of there was an there was an art collective in the nineties. So in, in ye oldie days before the internet, press releases for exhibitions would be facts to people. And there was a collective that would receive all of these facts, faxes, um, and correct them, correct all their grammar and everything, and then mail them back. And so she had their whole archive. And I remember going through it and like press releases from like 1994. And they were all of our tutors. And I was like, oh, these people were relevant once. And not all of them, some of them are still doing amazing things. I mean, one of my teachers was Emma Tolbert, who recently did an incredible commission at Piccadilly Circus. Um, we did have some great people, but yeah, for the most part, it was kind of out of date. And I don't know, I think I think there are issues with, with the way that art schools are run, particularly in the UK, where they sort of have to be part of a university system that, yeah. that prevents them from being quite as on the pulse as they need to be, should be. Yeah, 100%. I, I feel like things changed very uh, drastically from kind of like the 90s uh, kind of onwards and when art schools became universities. And I think that's a really interesting thing. It's like, do art schools need that kind of accreditation? And yeah. I'm, kind of, I'm, I'm kind of very torn about it because on one hand, I think it, it kind of almost damages your kind of our education to have to fit into this box and tick these kind of uh, things that you need to do for the accreditation. But at the same time, we kind of live in a world where you need those accreditations to kind of go forward or to kind of open certain doors. So it's kind of like a double-edged sword in a way. Yeah, and then so with Corona, you know, obviously things have kind of come to a head, but I feel like a lot of stuff has been kind of building up anyway before that, and then Corona just kind of threw it over the edge. So today we're going to be talking to Pause or Pay, mm-hmm. which, um, yeah, are a fantastic uh, organization doing fantastic work. Um, so yeah, so I think if we bring them on, um, and they can kind of probably introduce it a lot better than I can. <laughs> Hello, everyone. (laughs) Hi. It would be, I think, absolutely amazing for for everyone if you could just introduce yourselves. Hi, um, I'm Lara. I'm studying in uh, fine art at the University of Leeds in my final year. Um, And I work with Pause or Pay. I haven't actually worked with them for that long, um, but I've loved it. And they do so many great things. So, yeah. Hi, yes, I'm Shahada. I'm also a coordinator of Pause or Pay UK. I study at University of Arts London. Um, I've been around in the campaign sort of like since the start as a national campaign, which was April 2020 last year. Hi, I'm Henny. I'm studying also at University of the Arts London doing illustration. Um, I think I've been working with Pause or Pay since like November. Um, And yeah, I've been helping out with the Crit Club mainly. Yeah, great. And we can chat about the Crit Club in a bit as well. Uh, I think that's a really exciting uh, thing as well. So, um, so what exactly is Pause or Pay? Yeah, so we started off actually because of the pandemic in March, actually March last year. It was started, the actual name, the actual hashtag actually was originally Paul Zapata, which was like very aggy. But it was started by a group of MA students at Central St. Martin at University of the Arts London. Um, it was the original demand for kind of like to let students into discussions with the university on how they wanted their education to continue in the pandemic. Um, 
around like 23rd, it was like 23rd March, that sort of timing. And then they got in touch with a group at Royal College of Art, who was also asking for basically the same thing, connections. And then they got in touch with people at Glasgow School of Art. And that basically it was then it became a national campaign. Um, more people brought on board. A lot of our original first meetings were a lot of open meetings. We had one big open meeting as well on Labor Day last year as part of the anti-university festival, which also brought in a lot of new members, a lot of people from non-London-centric, non-city-centric colleges as well, which was really great. So it's always sort of been this sort of like response to disruption of studio-based learning. Um, and obviously we're very quick about that because we really need our studios, which has always been sort of like the strength of all the organizing is that a lot of it, I guess, what people call firefighting, but we seem to be very good at that as well. <laughs> um, yeah, we're now consisting of, from the original three schools, we have about like 30 universities on board, more than 300 members as well, with multiple, multiple branches across the country, which is great to see. And we sort of like, how we organize is that we meet once weekly for general meetings, and then we let branches sort of do their own thing. More recently, we've sort of like been investing into people's organizing capabilities. We were offered to sign up for organizing school programs. We actually ran our own organizing school alongside other student grassroots organizing groups uh, in April as well. So it's been a, a lot about like sort of like sharing skills that we have. Some of our original organizers came from also organizing backgrounds and thing organizing a lot, but that is basically what we do. Um, we bring we bring studio-based learners together in a non-hierarchical way. It sounds amazing. I think I think you're doing really, really great work. Uh, I think it'd be good to just chat about what it's like for you guys, because you're all actually in the throes of it and just what that experience yeah. is like and kind of how, how you've been feeling the last kind of year, really. I think yeah. in general, it's been super stressful to have the same situation for studio-based courses as with other courses that don't rely on having in-person practical spaces. So things like English courses have uh, a much lower expectation of the engagement that they might need to have on an everyday basis, whereas we're kind of getting the same access as them at the moment. And yet kind of 50 to 70% of our course is practical work kind of across the country. So I, I think it's really stressful to ask a lot of these students to find all of their own spaces and suddenly come up with the same kind of work that they've been doing before and not have to adapt their practice but at the same sort of level and and continually improving stress is what I'm getting from everyone yeah I think because <clears throat> like I was saying earlier I think with the, with a creative course in particular the studio is such an important part of it and it's such a heart of it and I think for everyone I've spoken to who was a, on a creative course and then left, the resounding thing that you always get is, I miss the studio. And it's not just having space to create, which is incredibly important, but it's it's the community that arises around it and that fosters the development of your own work and fosters those sort of critical conversations that, that you can't have through the ether in the same way. Yeah, it's actually been a bit of a nightmare to see um, what happened at the start of the pandemic in March 2020 being repeated right now. Um, as we go into the new year, we, you know, we went into the 2020-2021 academic year in October and 
over the summer, we were like, yeah, this is going to happen again. This is going to affect us just as much. And it happened again for an entire year. And now we're starting to see like university plans for the next academic year. And it seems to be blended learning again. So we, we're like sort of like stuck in this like purgatory of like uh, blended learning. You maybe will get two weeks on campus, hopefully in that term. So it's, it's I'd say it's been quite shocking to see that happen. Yeah, I, I was just kind of thinking about other courses, such as like medicine and kind of uh, sciences and things like that, that are lab based as well. And how did they deal with things? I, I'm not sure if any of you, if any of you know that or because I remember a while ago, uh, like kind of at the start of the pandemic, a couple of months into it, they were saying that they were going to reopen those kind of that kind of learning for people. And I'm just wondering, is that something that was kind of been discussed or looked at or compared to? Yeah, we really wanted to join up forces with lab-based courses, but uh, they didn't have a strong organizing day. So we used to have a lot of people email us. I know we had people from agriculture course email us and be like, hey, how can we bring that self-organizing to our spaces as well? And we help people, I guess, on an ad hoc basis, but they haven't organized. So um, we seem to be the only sort of like subject-based student organizing group um, that just hasn't happened anywhere else as well. You know, when lockdown was lifted this calendar year, medicine and medicine allied courses could go back on campus first. Um, other courses like engineering couldn't as well. But I also remember Edinburgh University, I believe, um, extended their dentistry courses by like a term. So they basically had extended access, which is what we've always been asking for. So it is possible, like it has, it has been happening and there is a model out there. I, I, I was wondering, um, Henny, about illustration. So kind of ha has that translated a bit easier to the kind of digital sphere than say sculpture or something like that? Um, I think personally for me, I think I've definitely seen like a lot of students completely change the way that they are now making art because they're making it from their bedrooms and at home and everything. It's been almost like a way to think about challenging our practice, but I think it's also, we've been forced into this situation, so it's quite different how that that's kind of happened. Um, I think personally, I haven't really got into digital art that much it's just not something that I particularly enjoyed that much I think that also something sort of like responding to what Shahada was saying was that there has definitely we've seen like creative and studio-based courses be completely like they're almost put at the bottom consistently um, and I think especially with what's going on now with the 50% cuts and everything it's kind of like another round of this and after this whole year and everything that's come out of it it is definitely quite disheartening to see that we've just had that come out again. Yeah do you think that there's I don't know I, I wonder if maybe there's a there's a sort of lack of sympathy amongst course organizers because the reality is that once you do leave art school you do then have to pay for your own studio you do often wind up making work by yourself and unless you are you know someone who is really a, a, a thriving professional artist you don't have the capacity to to exist in the same way and so maybe there is sort of a sense of like yeah it's tough but we all do this so you can kind of get used to it I was just going to, sorry, I, I think it's exactly that. I think there's so many strings attached to these different levels of university study and lecturers and organisers. And within that, everyone has loyalties to each other at the same time. 
So lecturers have those loyalties to students and that, that want for people to be able to create in that space and to be able to collaborate and actually study in the way that we were kind of promised in the first place. But at the same time, they're employed by an organisation that doesn't necessarily have that as their best interests. Um, and so there's only so much that any of us can potentially fight against that without getting told, actually, no, you're kind of out of place at the moment kind of get back in your box um as it were so i think it's it's a really uncomfortable situation to be in i do feel bad for lecturers who do have ties both ways and are kind of stuck in this middle ground potentially on really bad contracts as well yeah exactly i mean i think it's really interesting that you say that yeah lecturers are often tied on really bad contracts so a so a um studio sort of or workshop managers and assistants at the universities and I think all of this is just so symptomatic of sort of the general underfunding of creative education which is which adds just another layer to the complexity of the issue. Yeah um, a lot of our more more recent um, work has been around organizing around that proposed 50% funding cuts to creative arts education. I think the worst thing that came out of the Office of Students report was sort of making a hierarchy between what they call high high cost subjects, so subjects that cost more for the university to carry out. Um, some of them include medicine, nursing, and then archaeology and creative arts, forming arts, that sort of thing. Um, and what they did was split that band, the called the C band, into C1 and C1.1 and C1.2, which is the first band was everything like nursing, like medicine. Everything in the second band was performing arts creative arts, archaeology as well, where unfortunately archaeology students have been lumped in with us, so hopefully <laughs> we'll see them in this fight. Yeah, it's, it's really, it, it's a brilliant crossover. But yeah, a lot of our organizing now has been around that, and a lot of the pushbacks also has been done by other sort of like unions, like the UCU, the colleges union as well. So that's basically what we are fighting against now at the moment. But yeah, a lot of these came out mainly because they marketized arts education. They made it compulsory for it to be certified a diploma during the Coltrane Report 1960, when they put out actual conditions for an art course to fulfill in order for it to be an accredited art course. And then they sort of put art subjects, art courses into boxes as well. And now we're left with this mess. Yeah. What, have, what do you guys think about the, that kind of accreditation? Do we need to have this BAMA system? And there's alternatives now, you're excluded the damned and things like that. Uh, what do you feel about it? Do you feel like, like you, you benefit from that accreditation? I think personally, it's kind of like completely homogenized education to make every course feel like you can teach it in the same way, which I just don't think you can. Like we need to recognize that every single subject is different and every student is different and every, and I think that like, having it being put in these boxes of degrees and higher education has really I don't think it's like benefited education and how we're taught at all but I do also see that like we also want art degrees and stuff to be recognized with the same level that like STEM subjects are recognized or science subjects and stuff so it's hard I think overall I'd say it doesn't help education and from if we want you know that to be used as like a useful tool yeah um a lot of 
we get asked a lot at Positive how organizing is so strong. And, you know, we, we have a lot of conversations with people. And generally, we've come to the conclusion it's because art students, creative arts studio-based learners students, haven't actually been really touched by marketized higher education. A lot of us come to university because we actually want to work in studios. We actually want that educational experience. We're not really here for that degree at the end. So we definitely more emphasis on like not that actual degree but the actual creative process and you know when we talk about things like decolonizing universities you know the university is a colonial institution these sort of like degrees were sort of manufactured because more people wanted to go to university because it was the only way out of certain economic conditions that they were in you know when we think about it it's like what is the actual use of the university why is it so sort of like important for people to go to university why do we even need accreditation and all these sort of things so yeah it's like what Henny said it's very complicated but one of it is definitely thinking of what can happen out of the institutions as well yeah I absolutely uh agree with that when I went to art school so I did my foundation and then I was just desperate to study art um and wound up uh where I did and then I was so disinterested in the idea of a degree that I didn't even know the day I got my results, I didn't really know what a first was or a two one was or a two two. I didn't understand the grading system even. I was so disconnected from that kind of system. And I was there just to kind of make work. And I was like, it doesn't really matter anyway because I'm going to be an artist or whatever. And like, it doesn't. Yeah, so that's really interesting to think about that because do I, I don't think people go into these kind of courses for that degree at the end, really. Yeah, I think um, it's really problematic that that it that it has become so focused on this end goal. I remember I worked at a university. I worked in a in a graphic design department, and the one of our our tutors lecturers was a a doctor. She was absolutely incredible, very academic. But she would often talk about like her goal was to get as much out of teaching as her students did. She viewed it as a place for her to continue her learning and her growth alongside both her colleagues who were also lecturers, but also she wanted to to learn from the students and impart her knowledge and and have it be this symbiotic relationship where people were able to sort of like academically and intellectually develop. And that's originally what universities were for, you know, if you go back 500 years and this sort of transformation of them becoming this very end goal focused thing causes such an issue. And it causes a particular issue with creative degrees. I mean, when you have a degree show at the end of your undergraduate degree what that really is is a showcase you know you're you're firstly you're sort of like trying to to really focus your creative efforts in a way that presents a solid outcome that sort of speaks true to what you are interested in but you're also looking to introduce yourself to the wider world to collectors and critics and and other creatives, other art students who come to see it. And that, at the moment, is a huge issue where that's no longer possible. And I'm curious to hear from you guys how you're feeling about this. Obviously, this will be the second year without degree shows in the traditional vein. I mean, how's that been? I, I think for, for Leeds in particular, this is less of a pause or pay thing, but I think we might be one of the only universities in the north who are actually still doing an in-person degree show which I feel really really fortunate about um, and it hasn't been that advertised yet um, but it will be a thing and it will have a booking system and we will have people in the building 
but again it's going to feel really disjointed to what it maybe should be before I think it's going to have the same sort of restrictions as galleries um, and it's it's almost like a halfway house between an online degree and an in-person degree because maybe it'll be that when you actually turn up you'll you still won't feel like you're actually at a degree show um, and we're still trying to fight people like health and safety to actually get this approved in the first place so it's another issue on top of potentially having an online degree show having a physical one is proving way 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 more organizing than it would be any other year so um yeah i think people might feel very unlucky having their degree shows online this year and I completely get that you kind of set up those expectations three or four years ago that this is what you're going to have at the end and that marks the end of your degree but at the same time this kind of hell of going through organizing you know how do you get around that COVID restriction and it's temporary but I'm slightly worried that because of this whole we're going to carry on blended learning what happens if degree shows suddenly are valued far less than they were before because oh look we can still graduate without a degree show so why should we have done it in the first place I think it's also so frustrating when you were saying before that there's all this emphasis on the final result and I mean we've seen this year and last year the final result hasn't even like happened like if people are now not like it's just the degree shows are being taken away like it's even that's kind of going and I think it's just so so frustrating for students to yeah to be experiencing that yeah I 100% agree and like in your manifesto as well you talk about this and kind of like the legalities of it as well a bit like how you kind of sign up and that exposure is kind of part of those contracts 100% but it kind of uh, I was thinking about so like in this kind of end results you know it's kind of like you go to art school you have your degree show you're an artist then and this kind of like linear trajectory and kind of how maybe that's part of the problem as well. So when I was in Germany, they have this thing called a Rundgang, which is the equivalent to a degree show, but everyone shows, first years, second years, third years. And it's not about kind of getting to this point where you're ready to show now. It's more about the, the development and putting work out there. And it feels a lot more kind of organic and beneficial to kind of artist practice, I feel. Yeah, so I, I don't know if maybe that is kind of also part of the problem of art education nowadays. Yeah, it, it is definitely a, a part of the problem as if a lot of these sort of like ingrained structures into any sort of like course as well. Um, last year over the summer, we talked a lot about having our own alternative degree show. A lot of that also included showing work from other people, showing work from people who weren't even at university. Um, we got we got into too much work last year to actually do it. But this year, where we have our own alternative degree show online, it's going to be called, it's called Alpha View and it's it will be up somewhere in summer as well. And it's our first foray into that sort of like, how do we bring people together in a non-hierarchical way? Because again, degree shows, again, a very hierarchical. If you're in London, if you're a London-based university, you're gonna get those London-based perks as well. If your university doesn't have strong connections with the industry, you're not gonna have the self-perks that somebody else has because of their university. Again, it's also very hierarchical and definitely a part of the problem. Um, it's definitely not very nice that we haven't had degree shows for two years straight, physical degree shows for two years straight. And I guess at this point, we're just not prepared enough. We're not organized or prepared or sort of like 
we haven't had enough discussions about the actual use of physical degree shows or just the concept of degree shows that we have been caught, I guess, unaware by the pandemic. Mm. Well, do you think then that there's a there's a potential sort of silver lining in the democratization of having these things online and having the online space become more prominent. I mean, this is something that that Jeff and I have discussed before when we were talking about uh, sort of online digital exhibitions is, as you say, there is a very London-centric view of the art world in this country. And sort of having things be online does make it more equitable. And it means that people who who normally can't come and visit you know, a museum show, for example, I think it was the Artemisia Gentileschi show at the National Gallery, had an incredible online presence and meant that a lot of people who couldn't afford or weren't able for whatever reason to come to come and see it in person were then able to get the full experience. Is there a flip side to that? And do you see that sort of maybe, obviously, there's a real worry that that, that the physical degree show will become devalued after this. But do you think there's a there's a potential benefit in in the online sort of leveling of the playing field? I feel like for accessibility reasons, I think it's a great idea to carry on having these online exhibitions and to kind of strengthen the way in which we're showing work online, because I am kind of thinking back to the beginning of the pandemic when there were these initial online shows and, you know, they're a bit disjointed and they don't work so well, but then you learn from that. And I think these shows have come a really long way. But at the same time, you know, if you're going to organise things like a university degree show, who still holds the purse strings and who still gets to put their logo on on that degree show at the end and who actually makes the overall decisions and and gets the contacts and actually leases the website to you and and things like that. And I think it's really difficult to escape that unless you have a really specific skill set that allows you to grab this team together and do it yourselves. And I think we've been really lucky with our members with this out of the blue degree show that we've got those connections to be able to um, get website programmers and to get designers in and say, you know what, we have these different aspects and we can put this together ourselves without the need for an institution to say yes or no. So I think more of it needs to happen. And even if there are physical degree shows, I'd still like to see online versions as well, maybe so that we can archive it better as well. I think it has been so exciting to be able to like with the out of the blue thing be able to completely create our own space like completely outside of the institution and away from our art schools and I think that I definitely would say that that's been an advantage but I do also think that like the art world is sort of becoming like this more and more that it's art made for artists to become and it's just this cycle and I think that like having it online is contributing to that even more because we're becoming like even more in these echo chambers that like are people who are not so engaged with art going to be looking at online galleries um and I think that that's not what art should like necessarily be about it should be something open to absolutely anyone and so I do yeah worry about like the implications of that with online galleries yeah I think that's a really good point as well uh, just before we kind of um, wrap up the discussion about uh, pause or pay, I'm just kind of wondering about the reality of the pausing and the paying. And is that happening? Is there any kind of universities that are leading the way? Has there been any talk of refunding or pausing things? 
or yeah, just kind of where's where's things at at the minute? I think it's difficult because if you're an international student and you pass your degree, your visa also gets passed and you basically need to reapply for a visa. And while you don't have a visa, you can't live in the UK. So you can't. So what we've been pushing for is a path that helps like every single aspect, your visa, your financial, just like your general safety and your well-being as well. That's obviously not happening at a lot of institutions. And we sort of think this should be sort of carried on until after the pandemic, you know, following what you were saying before like the system in Germany in which you can just sort of like choose where you have a little bit more autonomy over your course, which is what we think the responsibility you should have as a student. Uh, as for paying, we are starting to see uh, payouts to university students just in general. Um, so the process we go through is the complaints process. And once that comes out of the university, it goes into the institution called the OIA in England and the SBSO in Scotland. And what we've seen reports from both of these regulatory bodies is that they have actually paid out some sums to individual complainants. Um, Yeah, but what we've also done and what we've done since the start actually last year is put in huge group complaints, huge mass complaints of sort of like, so our last year's one at RCA had like 900 signatures. Our 2020 UL complaint had almost 3,000 signatures. Those complaints are taking a really, really long time to process by these external regulatory bodies. Mm-hmm. So we are waiting to hear on the results actually for Royal College of Art last year, as well as Glasgow School of Art last year. And um, this year we're going back into that cycle. Um, I know quite a lot of our branches have put in these mass complaints. We are hoping to see actual financial results from them but we're pretty hopeful because we're actually starting to hear actual figures and some of money being named so i think i think we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel pretty soon yeah. i think i also just want to add that like um i think that what's like the demand of pause or pay is not just like so crucial to our um situation at the moment and the kind of end goal for all the smaller achievements that lead up to that but I also think it's like opened up a whole discussion around what higher edu- how edu- higher education runs and the future of that and I think that that's so important for us to be able to like keep up the momentum within our movement and our activism and everything because to be able to reimagine that whole system in a completely different way it is interesting sort of you know the idea of how how does it get reimagined and what are the benefits of that um and i think that can sort of touch on we've had a really interesting question on on the insta live which is um what is the value of these degree shows um does it attract employers? Does it give students experience? Or is it just a place for universities to show off their logos? I think, I mean, I would just like to sort of step in and say, I think that degree shows are so much more for the students than they are for the universities. They're a complete, it's a complete ball lake for universities to put them on. Like they, they cost money, they take up space and scheduling. Um, and they really are, yeah, great opportunities for the students to collectively curate work in some instances to learn how to professionally display work to get used to talking about it um i know our degree show there was a um there was a cohort of collectors that came around the the uao collectors club was sort of brought around and they did purchase work and they did speak to students and students were able to sort of really get um 
an idea of of how to exist in a professional setting as artists if that was where they were looking to to continue. I wonder if you guys had any sort of follow up thoughts on that. Yeah, our our one of our pitches for our Arthur degree show was don't don't submit your work to your unique degree show and give them free advertisement um and a lot of our previous campaigns will also boycott your degree show yeah. um last year glasses of art students put out messages of protest instead on their digital degree shows and yeah it is a it is a PR tool for the university you're basically a debutante at your university's degree show they are there to showcase the quality of work that their students can produce hence the university can produce um unfortunately like as if it most nice community things made by the university a lot of it is also made with the aim of you know furnishing the university's name with like good stuff as well and keeping those industry links all ties into marketization yeah i think absolutely and i think that like, there, there there can be censorship in these degree shows as mm-hmm. well and even like for for our degree show you know like we had to put prices on our work there was a marketing team for all of this kind of stuff no one ever taught us about how to price work. No one ever taught us about the art market, what it means to sell work at a degree show, how that can impact on things in the future. I, I feel like as well, it's very much just kind of like make or break situation. It's like, oh my God, did you hear it? This person's sold. It's like, this person's the next best thing. And it's like, oh God, no one likes my work. Oh, like, I don't know. I feel like the conversation that's had around degree shows as well is quite problematic. Mm. Um, but again, I think we and Rory come from a place of luxury where we, it wasn't the question that if it was going to happen or not. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it. it I, I feel like it's quite easy to be cynical about it because, as you say, Shahada, it it very much is a, a PR thing, and the university does get to strengthen their their industry links. But I do personally feel like it is a symbiotic relationship that the students are able to get things out of it that you are not just pawns in the machine. Yes, there should be room for for the students to have more say in it and, and, and say in sort of how that is shaped and what it really gives you. But there is a benefit to the students and that's part of why it's such a huge issue that, that, that the model is being threatened by the current situation. Yeah, 100%, 100%. And I think just kind of echoing what Henny said, it's about you now we have that kind of space to reimagine things um, and how to kind of take the best out of it for moving forward. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so Crick Club, is a project that's facilitated by Pause or Pay. Um, so maybe I suppose if we just talk about uh, crits kind of uh, generally, what is a crit? So a crit is a kind of mode of uh, learning used in art education. Um, it can be done in very different ways, but it's usually where somebody presents their work and then the uh, people feedback on it and the kind of conversation is had about the work. So yeah, so I suppose how did Crit Club come about? Um, so we, it was something that was set up as part of the like alternative platform working group within Pause or Pay. Um, and it was a space where we were feeling like art school and art university is not providing us with what we've come for. Um, and so we were creating those spaces ourselves. And so, yeah, it's now... Um, is currently like facilitated online and every week we have... Um, a call and people are welcome to like present their work um, receive feedback and it's yeah it's a space made for students to both be able to share and get responses on their art and to be able to also just have conversations about art and see what other people are making in a much more 
like in-depth way. Um, I think something that I've like personally experienced is whilst I may be able to see the work of my peers, it's literally by scrolling through this feed of images and I have no understanding of the thought that's gone into it or the process or anything like that. And I think being able to like actually have a conversation and properly have some like dialogue around that is really, really important. Yeah, I think it's incredible. I absolutely, uh, I'm so excited to see something like this because when I finished art school, I felt so much kind of at a loss for that kind of community. And I feel like people don't really talk about work in the same way as they do in art schools. You know, you can put on a show or whatever, but you're not going to have that kind of crit kind of atmosphere where people are actually really engaging with the work and talking to you about it. So when I left uh, art school, I kind of set up kind of similar things, but in real life. And I worked with QArt who did crits across different universities uh, open to students and non-students and things um, and I just feel like it's so good to have people talking about work in this way outside of our education um, or our institutions as well and um, because that's yeah it's just really important I think. Yeah I, th I, I feel like sort of like the the space for crits is far more flexible and I, I think it was you honey who said that there was a risk of sort of you know with degree shows and exhibitions coming online it can become a bit of an echo chamber for artists and I wonder if that's if part of that is because what little existing framework there was for sort of non-physical displays and discussions of art, previously they only existed internally, sort of between creatives. You mentioned, Jeff, sort of when you left university, part of the, the collective that, that you were in, 12O Collective, ran um, crits, monthly crit groups. And while they were predominantly physical, there was an online element to them and people would sort of join us via Skype and in the room, which was always a fun thing, this little computer in the corner piping up with opinions. I wonder if, I'm trying to think quite what my question is. <laughs> I wonder if it's, if there needs to be more diligence on behalf of people to more clearly delineate crits and internal discussion and the external and, and how do you best do that and how does um how does crit club facilitate that yeah i do think it can definitely sometimes feel like a hard thing to sort of show up for and contribute for because i don't know personally sometimes it's hard to criticize you know no one wants to criticize someone's work and also it can be really hard to receive criticism but i think that like I've learned so much about how to have that conversation through Crit Club and I think that you have being able to have people from lots of different places be part of that conversation has really really helped to make it a space which is really comfortable and really productive at the same time because I don't know like there's one person who often comes and they're very involved with curation and they have like a whole other thing that they're contributing and then you have someone who's maybe like a first year someone who's graduated and I think that that makes the conversation flow in a nice way. Yeah I, I think I think working across universities is so important because I remember when I was with uh, QArt I'd have the crits at St Martin's and they very much use a distinct language and you kind of get used to people as well. You know, everyone knows each other. So you know the work and you're kind of coming at it from a place where yeah, you're used to it. And you know the history of it in a way. Whereas in, the, in these kind of um, crits, you don't know the people. You don't know the work. You have a fresh eyes. You have a kind of um, a different background. Uh, yeah, I feel like it's people have a lot more to offer. And there's a lot more to kind of gain from those kind of cross-disciplinary and cross-institutional uh, modes. 
Yeah, I feel like it's far more helpful for people to get a broader view of what other people are doing. For example, our building only kind of facilitates fine art as its practical course. And then we have theoretical courses, which is great, but that's not other practicing artists who are necessarily engaging in the same sort of practical work. Um, and I almost feel sad that it's necessary to have to set up things like Crit Club because it feels like that's compensating for the university not being able to fulfill what it should do and its kind of duties to its students. But at the same time, is that then also preparing us for the sort of proactive conversations that we should be having once we're out of university and, and actually proactively searching for people to talk to rather than waiting for the university to kind of give us those conversations and allow us to have that space to talk. Yeah, no, I do definitely think that's an interesting point because I think that like, whilst in the most ideal situation, I would never have wanted to have been put in a situation where I turn up to uni and I'm like, oh no, I've actually got to completely do this myself. <laughs> um, I think also having that freedom, I guess, like we were saying with the degree show online, that freedom to completely facilitate that conversation ourselves has also had like really interesting outcomes and I've seen that the people that turn up are the most willing to like engage and contribute something to that conversation because we're all yeah we've all become really involved with it yeah there's something very interesting about when you do start sort of self-organizing things do take on a new direction because the people who are joining you are doing so because I, I think because there's like a sort of shared sense of goals and obviously there already is that because you know everyone's decided to go and do this course but yeah when you get there and you know that you have that shared sense of ownership there can be there can be a safety in that and um and in a way that's really amazing in another way it can be quite I think dangerous because then you can become even more of an echo chamber yeah I think it's um kind of unfortunate um, like the situation at the minute, it's, it's so difficult for everyone who's in it. But I also think it's really exciting to see what's going to come out of it. Um, mm. And I think as well, this kind of generation of young artists who are proactive from the day they kind of step foot into art school because they have to be. Um, it's kind of interesting what's going what's gonna to come out of it. But I think all the work that you're all doing is incredible and it's just very commendable. Like well done on everything so far. And uh, I look forward to seeing what happens next. And yeah, thanks so much for taking your time out on a Saturday morning to chat with us. <laughs> It's been absolutely wonderful. Yeah, I think we do just have to have to leave it here, though. But thank you so much. It's been an incredible chat. Is there any sort of, you know, parting thoughts you'd like to leave us on? Be positive, but don't test positive. <laughs> <laughs> very, very topical, very good. Should be on a T-shirt. No, I just wanted to say thank you. It's been, yeah, it's been a really nice opportunity and really interesting conversation, definitely. Yes, thank you so much for having us here. We're always happy to sort of chat about the work we do and, you know, have a, a good discussion. These discussions are like very much needed in these times. Thanks so much. I feel very reinvigorated. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Definitely energised. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, honestly, it's incredible to see the work that they're doing. Because I just remember when I was doing like third year kind of uh, degree show stuff as well, you get, it's so kind of consuming. And just our school in general yeah. is very consuming and it's tough going. And to be able to do all of this work alongside that is, uh, it's incredible. Yeah, definitely. So if people want to find Pause or Pay or Crick Club, where is the best place for them to go, Jeff? 
so Instagram, I presume, uh, is the best place, uh, best starting point for everything. And both of them have uh, very <laughs> good Instagram presences. So I think yeah. it's uh, at pause or pay UK um, and then at underscore crit club. But yeah, we, can, we will tag them in, in everything as well. Yeah, they're tagged in everything and they'll be in our descriptions wherever you're yeah. listening or watching this. And Crit Club is on uh, currently at the minute, it's on Friday evenings at six. Wonderful. I look forward to attending. I haven't been able to attend one yet, but. Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's a really great space. They're doing a really, really good job. Yeah. Oh. So yeah, art schools. Art school, part of me wants to go back now. <laughs> it's been a few years since I left working at St. Martin's. You know, I, I did my foundation, I did my degree, then I worked there. There was a point where I thought I was going to die there and be buried <laughs> under the flagstones in the entryway. But but now I now I'm 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 flushed out. I'm a new new person, and I think I could go back. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I honestly, like, I, I think it, 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 it's it's an incredible thing to do, and it's it's very kind of fortunate to be able to go and have that have those experiences uh, at school. Yeah. But I think yeah, at the minute, I think I, I'd give it some time. <laughs> Wait, wait for the precedented times to return. Yeah. <laughs> maybe I'll go and do it in Germany. Yes, maybe, maybe that. <laughs> uh, yeah, like, again, like, there's lots of different models as well uh, that, we ha- that we didn't really touch on. Maybe that's something we could, that we could come back to uh, in a later episode, which are different models of art education um, around the world, internationally and kind of across Europe and stuff. But yeah, we are coming to a close. Uh, oh. Thank you very much, Rory uh, B-Books, for uh, everything. Thank you, Jeff. Oh, and thank, thank you, you Jacob Watmore, <laughs> our beautiful producer. Thank you, our wonderful viewers and listeners. We've had some really great questions. Sorry if we didn't get to all of them. Um, we'll be taking next week off. Is that right? Yes, we're not here next week, but back the week after. We're back the week after with a really fun episode <laughs> all about we're going to do it. We are. We're going to talk about NFTs. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see what and happens. Yeah, we're just going to continue diving down this rabbit hole nightmare of digitization. Um, So I'm looking forward to that. (laughs) (laughs) Lovely stuff. I shall see you then. I'll see you then. Yeah, we'll be up on IGTV. We'll be up on all your podcast apps from Wednesday. Um, See you next time. Good luck. Bye. Rory and Jeff Talk About Art is a weekly conversation between Rory P. Brooks and Jeff Coe, produced by Jacob Watmore and edited by me, Rory P. Brooks. You can keep up with us on Instagram at Rory and Jeff, where you can also see the full live stream of this week's chat and get updates on new episodes. If you've liked what you've heard, remember to subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast, and we'll be back. New episodes of Rory and Jeff Talk About Art come out every Wednesday.